There is such a thing called conscious consciousness. In terms of consciousness. In terms of consciousness. What consciousness is. You're listening to Explain the Brain from the Mind Science Foundation. I'm Audrey Quinn. In the last season of Explain the Brain, I talked with Mazarine Vinaji at Harvard. She's worked on the Implicit Association Test. It's a test best known for uncovering our hidden biases. Vinaji and I talked about how, from a super young age, we learn to think in categories, even when it comes to people. We very rapidly pick up from our culture who's considered good and who's not considered so good. This last month, I talked with Banaji's collaborator, the creator of the Implicit Association Test, Anthony Greenwald. We met in his University of Washington office. It's worth pointing out that right now, as a society, we're just starting to really talk about the implications of our hidden prejudices. Greenwald says that at the same time, researchers are also putting a greater focus on the hidden parts of our brain. He calls it the implicit revolution. When I created the implicit association test, the first test was looking at whether we could distinguish whether people preferred flowers to insects. I made up this test. I went actually across the hall here at University of Washington into the lab, ran myself on an experiment I had programmed, and discovered that I had a huge effect showing that I had an automatic association of flowers more than insects with pleasant. Well, that was interesting. There's no social justice in that, uh, but... It did not take more than a few months to decide, okay, instead of flowers and insects, let's put recognizably white names like Chip and Jason and recognizably black names like Jerome, Tyrone. Subsequently, we've replaced those names with face pictures, which are better. And I found that just as strong as my automatic preference for flowers relative to insects was my ease of associating white names and white faces with pleasant words and difficulty associating black names and faces with pleasant words. That was eye-opening. I didn't expect I had that in my head. And it turned out that about 80% of white Americans also have this. Smaller percentages of some other groups, but actually Asian Americans are about the same. Only African Americans are different, and surprisingly, they're not the opposite of whites. About a third of African Americans actually show the same kind of white preference that I do. And I have repeatedly on the probably hundreds of times I've taken this test myself in the past 20 years. What does this tell us about our brains that we're doing this? There must be hidden in the head things that we don't know are there. I call them associations. That's probably the best label for what they are. And when we say they're hidden, not only does our conscious mind not know about them, but they're operating somewhere inside the head that we actually don't know where it is yet. For me, this kind of begs the question of why is there this part of our brain that we aren't in touch with? We have a long evolutionary history, uh, and we (laughs) evolved from organisms with primitive brains that presumably had no consciousness at all. And inside our heads, we've got the residues of those parts of the brain that don't have the property of generating conscious thought. The implicit revolution sees this neocortex, which is presumably the site of conscious activity, as an overlay on these more primitive areas, 
And the implicit revolution sees that these lower areas of the brain are still hugely important in how we behave and what we do, and they feed things into the higher order of the brain, which has conscious awareness. We have no idea what the lower parts of the brain are doing in that. And I'm thinking now about some some biases seem pretty complicated, and the idea that this lower part of our brain could come up with that is almost hard for me to, to rationalize. All the brain needs to do outside of awareness is generate associations. The idea is that these associations are there because we've been exposed to them culturally. If you just pay attention to what's in the mass media, you will see who is portrayed as a homemaker, who is portrayed as a breadwinner, who is portrayed as a criminal, who is portrayed as a great athlete. This is still with us. These associations, they're in the air around us metaphorically. Uh, We take them into our heads through our ears and eyes in the same way we take in oxygen uh, through our mouth and nose and into the lungs. And it's as important to our mental development as the oxygen is to our physical development. The most important thing is just recognizing that that we have these, these unconscious biases. Recognizing that we have the biases is a nice first step. By itself, it doesn't turn them off. Even the things we've tried to do to eradicate them through training, new association formation, is not enough to override well-established ones. At the moment, I am not optimistic about developing interventions that will eliminate or eradicate implicit biases. I think they will ultimately disappear only as the culture changes so that we are not surrounded by images and associations that will just feed the same sorts of stereotypes and attitudes that have been trained in our culture for probably centuries now. That's disappointing. It is disappointing, and it tells us that those who are interested in using this work to produce societal change should envision a long future uh, of employment. So there's, there's no quick fix, though, to kind of speed up that societal change? In some cases, you can make a quick fix. And the best example that's been used widely is when audition screens were used in symphony orchestras, immediately produced a change in the rate of hiring women instrumentalists for symphony orchestras. There are domains in which that kind of isolated fix can be used, but to do it across the board in employment situations, in hospitals, in universities, in workplaces, uh, this is not straightforward. It, It requires redesigning the social and structural aspects of those situations so that the biases just are preempted. They are not given the chance to operate. So with that audition screens example, it almost seems like the the quicker solution is finding preventative measures against our biases rather than trying to get rid of our biases themselves. Yes, exactly. We can solve problems of implicit bias by designing decision situations that actually just don't give them a chance to operate. 
checklists are an example of the kind of way, if you have a validated means of going through a series of steps that you can check off on a checklist to make a decision, this can be designed so as to eliminate the possibility of implicit bias intruding. That's it for this month's Explain the Brain. You can find our archives at the Mind Science Foundation's website, mindscience.org. You can also learn more about what they do there. If you want to make sure you get the latest episodes of Explain the Brain, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. This last month, we had a bunch of new listeners in Carrollton, Texas. Hello, Carrollton. If you like the podcast, consider writing us a note on the iTunes reviews. It'll help other people find us. And until next month, I'm Audrey Quinn for Explain the Brain. (laughs) 